With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This is D. Orlando Ledbetter of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, here with the 53rd episode of the Bowtie Chronicles podcast. Everything you need to know about the Atlanta Falcons. Here on the eve of the NFL Draft, it's finally here. We're going to discuss the Falcons draft board, what has to happen in the first round for them. We have Dimitrov on audio for you, a short visit with him. We'll talk about the Julio Jones non-story briefly. Look at the top five players on the Falcons radar, and we'll review our five-part series on the Falcons' needs and who may be available for them. You can get all that up on AJC.com, myAJC.com, for the five-part series on the Falcons for our subscribers. We love our subscribers. All right, number one, quarterbacks are going to be key for the Falcons who hope that there's enough action in front of them that a good player gets pushed down to 26, and by that, it means Deron Payne. They can't get V to V down. He's not going but the uh, uh, but Deron Payne is the one they want to get. If he can get within striking distance, we know that the Falcons will go up and get him. The Falcons have done that in the past four out of ten times. That's a calculated move on their part. And if you see Payne get past the Chargers at 17, the Falcons will be on the phone at that point, and that's who they'll get in the draft in the first round. Alabama defensive tackle, Deron Payne. But it's got to be about the quarterbacks pushing players down. Maybe a couple teams overdraft that cornerback. Maybe there's a run there with uh, Mike Hughes from Central Florida, uh, Jair Alexander from Louisville, you know, after Denzel Ward and Michael Fitzpatrick, who's really a safety-ish kind of linebacker-ish and not really a cornerback. But, uh, you know, the Falcons need some people to make some mistakes in order for a good player to get pushed down to him at 26. The um, quarterbacks, I have them rated a little bit differently. Uh, then they'll go in the draft. I've got Josh Rosen as the best quarterback in this draft, just pure football-wise. Uh, but a little bit but too much bizarre stuff off the field. Uh, one scout told us that uh, he's the best quarterback prospect just physically in the last 10 years. But, you know, there's a lot of baggage with the kid, and teams don't know if he can, uh, you know, be trusted in, in some ways to, you know, lead the team here. So, number two, Sam Darnold from UCLA. Uh, the small hands, um, you know, for me, that's a problem. That's a, a, a time-tested measurable, and he has the small hands. Whereas Josh Allen from Wyoming has a lot of physical tools. Just doesn't look the – this didn't get the production at a small school level that you like. 
And, uh, you know, so a little red flag there. I have Lamar Jackson ahead of Baker Mayfield. I just didn't like his antics and how people were willing to just turn the head on his uh, his uh, behavior. And, uh, you know, I'm, 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 I'm going to hold him responsible for uh, putting the flag down at Ohio State and flipping off the uh, Kansas bench during the game. That's just immature, and I wouldn't want that in my quarterback. Mason Rudolph from Oklahoma State. Is six. He uh, from Rock Hill, South Carolina. Nobody the ACC, SEC didn't want him, but he ended up at uh, Oklahoma State. Uh, JT Barrett's rated seventh on my list. Ohio State quarterback Mike White, Western Kentucky. Kyle Loletta, Richmond. Luke Falk, Washington State. Now, if the quarterbacks do their thing and there's a run on them. The Falcons need the defensive tackles to come to them. Vita V is going to be gone. That's not going to happen. Deron Payne, if he gets past 17, he might be uh, attainable. And uh, I'll just go ahead and give up the mock draft right now. But I think Maurice Hurst is the, the pick for the Falcons here in my final mock draft. The defensive tackle from Michigan. His... Uh, his dad, uh, Maurice Hurst Sr., played for the New England Patriots. His mom, Nicole, was uh, a cheerleader for the Patriots back in the day. He's only had conversations with his dad. The mom raised him, you know, sent him to private school over there in Massachusetts before he went out to Michigan. But a fine player with a great burst uh, can hit that A-gap, and that's what the Falcons want. Uh, by letting Don Terry Poe go. Don Terry held up against the run, but they need to attack people in the pass game. They need two people to go in. You know, if you got Grady, Jared, and uh, Maurice Hurst hitting the A-gaps, man, that's going to be a whole lot of uh, pressure on the on the quarterback. So I'm going with Hurst in the final mock draft, and, uh, you know, we're starting to hear the medicals are, are, are fine on him. He was a kid with the regular heartbeat who uh, – was uh, you know they didn't let him work out at the the combine, but once they uh, got everything squared away, he didn't even have to go back for the medical recheck. So uh, Maurice Hurst to the Falcons at twenty six. If Deron Payne doesn't get uh, you know pushed down to them to where they can get him, a couple other defensive tackles to keep track of: Harrison Phillips from Stanford, Nathan Shepard from Fort Hayes State, B.J. Hill from North Carolina State. I got Trenton Thompson on this list, but I'm going to scratch him after that pro day uh, stuff. I didn't, uh, wow, I hadn't uh, seen a, somebody uh, look that bad at pro day. But he might have been sick, and uh, there was uh, some some concern about that. Tim Settle, Virginia Tech, is another one to keep an eye on uh, with regards to the defensive tackles in the draft. Let's hear from General Manager Thomas Dimitrov. We know he'll trade up, so we 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 know that's a possibility. Four out of ten times, uh, they they don't draft uh, not for need. They're gonna they need a defensive tackle. They're gonna get one here in this draft. Every year, you know, you have people in the league who, of course, your allies and that you trust, and they may have certain information or something that, that may be useful, whether it's trade information, opportunities, scuttle around the league about who's you know being talked about where. There's a lot of discussion uh, amongst the general managers. We'll talk about it to you, but there's always discussion. As there are, quite honestly, with 
um, a lot of the agents in the league. Now, that, that's a little bit dicey at times, and I respect agents, of course, but they have their own agenda. But there's a lot of discussion about, you know, where, where interest is, and, and so I think there's a, a lot more discussion than people believe. Um, and again, it's just, they're just projections. There, there's obviously not a whole bunch of concrete. Every once in a while with someone, you can, you can dig up something that can be really useful in your approach to uh, draft it. Thomas, you've always had a history of moving uh, in the first round. When it comes to that decision on draft night, how much of it is the cost of the move versus the player that you're going to acquire? Um, the player that we're going to acquire obviously is, has driven that most of the time. Of course, we're always thinking about costs. Um, we think about where our team is, where our team's roster is. You know, obviously, not to get into talking about 11, but, I mean, what we did in 11 had a lot to do with where we, not only with the player, which we believe in, of course, but where we were as an organization. And I would say that even last year, moving up for, for Pat, right, we had a lot of discussions about, you know, where we were with our pass rush. And, and of course, we need to look at the compensation. We have to be realistic about it. But we, we pretty well know when we're looking to move up 5, 6, 8, 10, 21, what it's going to cost us, and we get our heads around that a lot sooner than just on draft day, and that's the big thing. We have all these There's Thomas Dimitrov discussing how they decide to move up in the draft. It's player-driven. They have their hands around the cost already, whether it's three spots, five spots, eight spots, or 21. 21 is Julio, attack. Uh, Desmond Trufant and uh, Sam Baker were also traded up for. Uh, so, you know, they already have got that figured out on what it's going to cost them if they can afford to do so. And uh, a big part of it is where the roster is at. Now, we've heard them say that how great they feel their roster is. They didn't go any, after anybody in free agency, signed a couple of, you know, mid-range guys, uh, Logan Paulson at tight end, Brandon Fusco at guard, and uh, – Justin Bethel, a, a special teams cornerback who tried to start in this league. It didn't work out. Lost a job in Carolina, in uh, Arizona. So there you have it. The Mid-Truff Audio, they're focused in on their tackle. I know it's Deron Payne. And if it's not him, it's up in the air on Hurst or Bryant. I don't know if it's Bryant. Do you take him there at 26 or do you go to one of the other positions, which there also is some flexibility in this draft. So uh, let's look at the Falcons board and then we'll address the Julio Jones non-story. I had last week as my five guys, uh, Hayden Hurst, the tight end from South Carolina, although I called him Maurice. Well, there is a Maurice Hurst, but he's a defensive tackle from Michigan, and that's who they might end up with. Uh, Isaiah Wynn, Jair Alexander, the cornerback from uh, Louisville, Tavin Bryant, the defensive tackle from Florida, and Mike McGlinchey from Notre Dame. I think he's going to get overdrafted. He's not going to be there at 26. Uh, I just didn't. I'm not a Blick McGinchey fan. He's a clean-cut kid. He's Matt Ryan's first cousin. But uh, Lorenzo Carter and Devin Bellamy had him for lunch in that big Georgia-Norda game last uh, last year. Maybe not had him for lunch, but they, they got some plays on him. So he's going to have um, some speed rushing issues uh, in the league, unless you move him to guard. But, but a lot of people like him. He's a big kid, smart kid. Uh, uh, likable. He's going to be a long time pro in the NFL. 
Our updated five guys on the Falcons' radar screen. We've been told to pull Isaiah Wynn off. I don't think that's a smokescreen, so we pulled him off. Hayden Hurst, tight end, South Carolina. Maurice Hurst, D-tackle, Michigan. Jair Alexander, cornerback, Louisville. Tevin Bryant, Brian, Florida, and Mike McGlinchey, Notre Dame. I, I showed the list to... Uh, Thomas Dimitrov and Dan Quinn, and they liked the list last week. But I since had to update it uh, with Wynn. You know, they just kind of gave me a head nod, and, you know, they didn't want to give up any secrets. But, uh, uh, you know, we, you know, they they certainly pointed out that they had more scouts than I did in a bigger department. Uh, but uh, those are our five people on the Falcons' radar headed into the draft. Now, let's just address the Julio Jones non-story. He's been cleaning his social media up for the last couple months, just a branding thing. He doesn't want to address it. His PR people at CAA don't want to address it. It's just a simple matter, freshening up his page. Now, we saw a reckless disregard for the truth. Folks just speculating about trades and whether he was at the voluntary workout and whether he's mad about his salary. Just reckless based on social media. It's such a non-story, but I understand the era we live in. But uh, just it was a shameful, reckless disregard for the truth. Folks trying to make things out of uh, you know a social media change without substantiating any of it. Should have talked to somebody. They would have told you right off the bat, hey, he's just freshening up his media stuff. But nobody wanted to believe that, so it just ran out there. He never comes to the voluntary workouts anyway. He just he shows up at OTAs. He hasn't he certainly wasn't there last year with the foot injury. He does his training on his own, then he comes back for OTAs when they started installing the offense and doing all that stuff. So you know, the Julio Jones, there's a tweet from the team PR guy, Brian Kearns. I retweeted it, and, and it talks about the non-story. It even uh, has Julio preaching about social media uh, with his barbershop podcast out in uh, Alabama. So if you if you are enamored in the catfish type stuff and you want to um, deal with that, you can listen to that and, you know, have some, uh, you know, at least get his views on social media, but, you know, as far as football and contract and team and workout, it's a non-story. So let's move on. Today we're going to wrap up with our five-part series. We discussed and tried to break down for you the Falcons' needs going into this draft, not just the first round. Uh, they're going to draft a defensive tackle. They need a fullback. They're going to draft a wide receiver. There's going to be a linebacker coming off the board and an offensive lineman. They, um, you know, have seven picks throughout the draft. No fifth rounder. In the five-part series, we broke down the top tackles in the the draft, the middle-round guys, and late-round possibilities. Fullback is something that is uh, very important. They've scouted a lot of them. Uh, you know, maybe you get Demetrius Flowers from Oklahoma in the third round. Uh, the kid Samuels out of North Carolina is a possibility. You know, certainly they can go there. Uh, wide receiver, some of them, uh, you know, 
DJ Moore, maybe get him in the second. I don't think he's going in the first. Some people think so. Uh, but, you know, Calvin Ridley to the Falcons, I don't see that. Uh, they do have to replace Taylor Gabriel, the Christian Kirk kid. I uh, don't see that. More like Dante Pettis, the uh, super returner from Washington. Nine touchdowns, the son of former baseball player Gary Pettis. Maybe you can get him in the third. Uh, but, yeah, somebody like that, a, a receiver with uh, return ability, that's somebody to look at. Now, uh, linebacker-wise, you know, we they've they've uh, they've had the top guys in here, Vander Esch and uh, Harold Landry and those guys. So, you know, that could be a wild card move at 26. They've had the top linebackers in, uh, not Raekwon and Traymon Edmonds. Uh, those guys, but the next group of guys. So, uh, you know, we kind of got, you know, they only have three on the roster. Uh, you know, Jeff Schultz did his needs thing, and he thinks linebackers low. We both agree on a defensive tackle. Offensive line, they, they got to get a guard here. Um, long term, I don't think, uh, you know, Wynn's going to make it in the first round. Just didn't have a very good pre-draft run-up. Uh, McGleechy was would have been there, but he's going to get overdrafted. But at some point, they're going to have to pull a guard off the board or a potential guard. I don't know if Billy Price slips into the second, the uh, Ohio State guard. Do you take him? I think that would be a great, smart move by the Falcons. So um, I got to do the last last one, but the four are already online. D-tackles, fullback, wide receiver, and linebacker for the Falcons. And we'll do offensive line today leading into the draft to wrap up the uh, five-part series on the Falcons' need and, and who might be available in the draft. We also gave you the Georgia. And uh, Georgia Tech's only got the receiver, Ricky June, who's got a possibility of getting drafted. They got a couple big guys that will get free agent contracts and then we break down the top players from the SEC and the ACC, or at least give you a list of those guys who will be coming off the board. So, there we are. This is the 53rd episode of the Bowtie Chronicles podcast. We thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing on iTunes and other outlets and going to the AJC podcast page. This is D. Orlando Letbetter of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution here with the 53rd episode of the Bowtie Chronicles podcast. Hey, tune in this afternoon at 5 p.m. I'll be going on 92.9 The Game to set uh, Carl Duke straight on this Julio Jones non-story and talk to my man Mike Bell about the draft. Those are my guys. I like going on the show. I don't even mind their weird impressions of me that make me sound like a... Uh, uh, sound a little crazy there, but, uh, yeah, that's fun. You know, you gotta have fun if you're in radio, so I don't mind them doing all, all those stupid impressions. So take care and, uh, get ready for three days of drafting and we'll come back on Monday and see as the dust settles and, and grade this draft. We're going to grade it on the fly anyway, and we'll grade it again on Monday. Take care and have a great rest of the week.
In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. The AJC's trusted veteran political voices, Greg Bluestein, Patricia Murphy, Tia Mitchell, and Bill Nygut are the essential source for Georgia politics. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution's Politically Georgia. Sign up for the newsletter, download the podcast, subscribe to the AJC.